This is Lead Minister Nathan Pelahowski of RSCC. I just want to welcome you to the RSCC podcast. Here's something I want you to know. I want you to know that you matter. Not because I say you matter, but because God says that you matter when he sent his son Jesus to die for us. Today I hope this message challenges you and encourages you to take your next faith step. Well, good morning. All right, hey, we're pump up music right there. All right, hey, it is awesome to be with you guys. I, I love that song. How many of you love that song? Put your hands together. Hey, th- there's a little line in that song. You, you may not even realize what we're singing. It says, I am justified because of Jesus, meaning I am made right in the eyes of God. And I just think it's so important when we're worshiping it. It's all about Jesus. It's not about us. We're, it's not about, you know, uh, us getting God doing something for us. It's all what God has done already, and it's, it's amazing. So it's awesome to worship. Hey, we, we are in the final message of our, our Judges series today. We have made it a long time. This has been the hardest series I, uh, I've ever preached, so I'm glad to be done with it and moving on. Um, just a little um, heads up though, we did not cover everything in the book of Judges, so if you want to figure out more about the book of Judges, go home and check it out yourself, but it, it ends in a crazy way, and it ends in this wild way, but today we're going to end by looking at the most famous judge of all time, and you guys probably know who that is, and we'll get to it in a second, but I want to do something today, and I want to start in a certain way, and it's going to be a little weird, um, but stick with me, it, it was, I, I heard a, a minister do this once, or it was in a book, and I was like, hey, I want to talk about this, so I want you to fast forward to the end of your life, a long time from now, hopefully, and I want you to think about, you know, at the end of your life, and then you have the funeral or celebration of life, and I get to do a lot of these, and, and what I'm about to say is so true, and I want you to think about who's, who's going to be there, who's going to be there, uh, your kids, friends, maybe a spouse, Who, who's going to be there? And more importantly, what legacy are they going to say that you left? Were you the type of person, were, were you generous? Were you kind? Were you compassionate? Were you hypocritical? Were you critical? Were you judgmental? Would they say, you know, we always had to walk on eggshells around him or her because they're always so close to losing their temper. What would they say? And here's why it's so important, is one day your life in my life, hopefully after a long time, our lives will eventually be reduced to one single sentence. Not, not, not maybe the first couple months or first couple weeks, but eventually our lives will be reduced to one sentence. Nathan was, and then somebody would say, so here's, you were, you were, and somebody would say what you were. Your life would be reduced to a sentence. The question is, what do you want to be in your blank? What do you want your life to be reduced to when they reduce your sentence, right? When, when you get to a sentence, what do you want them to say about you? Now, that's really what keeps me up at night. And I'm like, most days, if you're like me, it's like, okay, some days, like on Monday, it may not be that good of a story. But maybe later in the week when I'm in a better mood, it might be a better story, right? Like, what will people say? And here's what I think about my life, and maybe you're, you relate, is I'm not even close to who I want to be yet, right? I'm not even close to the type of person, the type of minister, the type of husband, the type of future father. I'm going to be, I'm not even close. And I hope that I still have more time. And here's the reality. You may not be, you you may have come in here today, and and I hope this is the case. You came in here today, and you're not who you want to be right now. But guess what? You're not done. And as long as we have breath in our lungs, as long as we have time to still live, we still have time to change what's in our story, right? And and, and then here's where it gets interesting. I was doing some research and thinking about this, and I found something to be true, or found out something, and I was like, man, that is so true. And someone said, hey, something that steals uh, or kind of writes our story more than what we think in a negative way is one little word. 
one little word, and you probably don't ever think about this word. You probably don't even consider it much, but it's so important, especially if you're a follower of Jesus. And the word is compromise, right? Compromise. Now, not talking about this type of compromise, like compromising with your spouse about where you should go out to eat. I'm not talking about that, right? That's important to do, but I'm talking about compromise in this sense. Being untrue to your core values and beliefs, right? Selling out beliefs for something you want. That's, that's kind of how we specify it. So basically what that means is you're compromising. You're doing something against what you ultimately believe. And as followers of Jesus, we believe there's a certain way we're to live. And God calls us to this standard. And if you want to really know in summary what that standard looks like, a great, great place to look is the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, where Jesus tells us how to live very specifically. But it compromises. When we start compromising these beliefs our beliefs for something we want, right? Pleasure, fun, money, whatever it could be, right? It, we start compromising. And compromise is so deadly, but so silent. And, and a lot of times we don't even realize we're compromising. And it just happens so, uh, just a little bit here, a little bit there, a little bit there, a little bit here, right? And you don't even realize it. And, and, and it's wild because it's so deadly. It'll change your story faster than you can ever believe. And you may not even realize that you're in the middle of a compromise. And then the end of it, you end up compromised. And it's like, you know you shouldn't be looking at those images on the computer or your phone or your tablet. But no one's going to find out, right? No one's going to find out. It's not that big of a deal. You know you should be even more present with your family. But you also know, like, hey, I want to make this money. So if I make this money, then eventually down the road, I can have some memories with my family. So you compromise that. You're like, I, I know God should be number one. But, like, I really like sleeping in on Sundays. And I really like my kids in sports tournaments. And I really like doing this and doing that. Like, you know God's supposed to be number one. But you compromise, compromise, compromises over and over again. And here's what's crazy. Eventually, little compromises lead to big consequences, don't they? Little compromises lead to big consequences. And what I mean by that is, is this. God has a very specific purpose for your life, and I believe that to be true in my life. And as followers of Jesus, that's why we're here. Most of us are here. We believe that. That's why we're here, or at least considering that, is when you compromise, you compromise the way God wants you to live. And whenever you live your life living outside and walking outside the plan and the standards and, and, and the beliefs that God has for you, the standard of God, and you walk away from that and you start walking and sin side by side, there are going to be major consequences in your life. And today what we're going to do is we're going to look at the final judge uh, of the book of Judges. And we're going to look at really his life could be summarized. This guy was a big strong guy. But most of all, Samson was a compromiser. That's how you could write his sentence. So what we're going to call it today, or what we're going to call this little last talk of Judges is this. Don't let compromise steal your purpose. Don't let compromise steal your purpose. So let's get a little recap of where we're at. We are in the book of Judges, and we have been here for several weeks. And the book of Judges refers to a time period in Israel's history, and Israel was chosen by God for a specific purpose, for a specific plan, and all, had, all they had to do was obey and everything would be okay. But by the time we get to where we're at today in Judges, they have compromised over and over and over again, and things are a mess. And there's a picture, a cycle that we've kind of been talking about. This is the last time you'll see this picture, so memorize this, because in a couple weeks we're going we're gonna to quiz you on this, and it's sin, destruction, sorrow, deliverance, peace, and they go through this 
this cycle for a long time, 300 plus years. And the day when we end up in our, when we come to our final judge, like I said, his name is Samson. Um, and many of you will know who Samson is. He's the most famous judge. He's the most talked about judge. <clears throat> but when we come to Samson, the Israelites have been in captivity for 40 years. And if you have been reading along in Judges, that is double the length of any other time period. Which means by the time we get to Samson, things are really bad. And they're not going to get any better anytime soon. It is, this is just going to be continuous all the way to the end of Judges. It's just going to be chaos for the rest of the book, basically. But Samson is who we're looking at today. And Samson, as you know, many of us picture him in our head, this big, strong, burly-looking man with long hair. And little did we actually know that Samson probably didn't look all that phys physically dominating. Um, but he did have long hair. And why he's so important is, in, in some way, he was a reflection of what was happening in the nation of Israel. The, Israel was chosen by God, set apart by God, for a very specific purpose and plan. right? And, and Samson's going to be set apart by God. For a very specific purpose, very specific plan, right? And like I said, when, when Samson comes onto the scene, the Israelites are in captivity for 40 years, so things are bad. And when we at first even introduced the idea of Samson, we're not introduced to Samson, we're introduced to his parents, who, like many people in the Old Testament and throughout Scripture, could not have children. So when we're introduced to him in verse 2 of chapter 13, and we're going to be in chapter 13 through 16 today, Go home and read it because there's going to be a whole lot of summarizing, all right? So go home, check it out for yourself. But it says this, a certain man of Zorah named Mona from the clan of Danites had a wife who was childless, unable to give birth. So like many people in the Old Testament, she was unable to give birth. They wanted to have a kid. It wasn't happening. And then verse 3 pops up and this is what happens. The angel of the Lord appeared to her and said, you're barren and childless. And she's like, yes, of course, really. Did you really need to come tell me that? But here, here's what's going to happen. You're going to become pregnant and give birth to a son. So the angel says, okay, you are childless, but now you're going to give birth to a son. And then it gets really specific. And he's, the angel's going to say, now you're going to live a certain way while this child's being born, and when this child grows up, he's going to live a certain way. Now see to it that you drink no wine or other fermented drink, that you do not eat anything unclean. So basically, you know, anything unclean, which would have been their custom. You'll become pregnant and have a son whose head is never to be touched by a razor because the boy is to be his Nazarite dedicated to God from the womb. He will take the lead in delivering Israel from the hands of the Philistines. So the angel comes and says, hey, listen, you're going to have this baby. But it's not just a normal baby. This baby, this son of yours, is going to deliver Israel. He's going to be the judge that delivers Israel from the Philistines. And they, the angel of the Lord says, and this baby's going to live a very specific way. He's going to have what is called the Nazarite vow. And it's really three things. And the three things that Samson could not do is he couldn't drink any grape juice or wine, anything fermented, right? He couldn't touch anything that was dead. And that's always confused me. Like, if Samson saw a spider, could he not kill it? Like, I don't know. Like, but he couldn't touch anything dead, right? And he could never cut his hair. Could never cut his hair. And this was considered what was considered the Nazarite vow. And what's interesting about the Nazarite vow was it was something that was, uh, they would have been custom with, but it was something you often chose for yourself. Say you were going through a tough time and you wanted to get God's attention, you want to get back on track. So you would say, I'm going to take the Nazarite vow, where you would not drink any grape juice or wine, you wouldn't touch anything dead, and you wouldn't cut your hair. 
And you would take this vow for maybe 30, 60, if you're real bad, like some of us, maybe 90 days at most, right? And then you would be, you, you'd go through this and hopefully your faith would be on track. Unfortunately for Samson, this poor dude, he doesn't have a choice. This is, what, this is the vow he's, he, he's going to be, God's giving to him at birth. So sometimes when he grew up, his parents would have told him, hey, we know other people are doing this every once in a while, but this is to be your life now. And so he couldn't choose if he got to take the vow, but here's what he could do, right? And this is where it gets cool. He got to decide if, and this is where it's so interesting for you and for me. He gets to decide if he was going to lean into it. You get to decide, are you going to lean into the commands of God? Are you going to lean into what God is saying? And, and he got to decide, am I going to lean into it and be faithful to what God had called him to do? Or, so are you going to be faithful? Are you going to lean into what God's called you to do? Or, if he would compromise what he was supposed to do, for what he wants, just like you and I. Are we going to lean into what God's called us to do, or are we going to compromise <clears throat> into what we want to do and what we want most? All right, so Samson, you know, that, that happens, and then we're kind of, they go through some events in chapter 13. Well, eventually Samson grows up, and what his job is, scholars believe, is he's like border patrol between the Philistines and the Israelites, and he would protect the Israelites from the Philistines coming in, and they, at some point during all this, he would recognize that he has this strength given to him by God. And he would recognize and realize that he was not like everybody else. So he would be border patrol and he would have killed hundreds of thousands of Philistines, probably just protecting the Israelites. But, and, and you're going to see in Samson's life, there are always lots of buts. Um, but one day, well... Being on border patrol, he sees a young woman, and when you're a young man and you see a young woman you like, some things change, right? And he sees this woman, she's a Philistine, and she has his attention. And what he wants is he wants her. And this is risky. One, he's an Israelite, and Philistines and Israelites were not supposed to mix. But two, the Philistines probably hated Samson. So here, here's what happens. He sees this woman in chapter 14. And in verse 14, he says, Samson went down to Timah and saw there was a young Philistine woman, right? He saw, and when he returned, he said to his father and mother, I have seen a Philistine woman in Timah. Now go get her for me as my wife. He's like, I see her, I want her, go get her for me. Basically the translation of that, right? And his father and mother replied, isn't there any acceptable woman among your relatives or among your, all your people? Must you go to this uncircumcised Philistines to get a wife? All right, so mom and dad don't approve of this, and we've we all seen this. But what's interesting is what we see is I highlighted this word right here. I have seen. And that, just, that just stood out to me. So he, he sees this woman, and he likes her, but he knows he's not supposed to be with her. Okay? Have you ever seen something in your life that you like, hey, that looks good, but I know I'm not supposed to do it, right? Okay? Well, this is him. And, and that little phrase, I have seen, is so important. Because when you, when you see something, and then that makes the connection to your mind, you have a choice to make. So now he has a choice to make. I, I, this woman has my attention. I know I'm not supposed to be with her, but I want her. I've seen. So he has the option. Am I going to compromise? Am I not going to compromise? Well, he says, I want her. And he tells his parents, hey, go, go get this woman for me. And his parents do what good parents do. He's like, they're like, listen, Samson, are you serious? Don't you know that you're special? That you're chosen by God? That, God, that an angel came to us and said, you were going to be used to judge the Philistines. That you were going to do something special. Of all the people who shouldn't be going across the compromise, Samson, it's you. Of all the people who should understand what you're supposed to do because you're set apart, Samson, it's you. 
isn't there anybody else that you can marry? Isn't there any woman among our own clan? Isn't there anyone in our own area that you can marry? And Samson's like, well, I hear what my dad's saying, but I don't really care, right? You know, we all have been there. Like, yeah, dad, yeah, whatever. Go kick rocks. Like, that was back in the day, dad. Like, that was old school. You don't even know what you're talking about, right? You and mom have been married forever, right? And, and so he's like, I don't care. I want what I want. And in verse 4, it says this. Samson said to his father, get her for me, right? She's the right one for me. And his parents did not know that this was from the Lord, who was seeking an occasion to confront the Philistines, for at the time they were ruling over Israel. So basically, Samson says, hey, Dad, I want her. Go get her for me. And, and he's like, she is the right one for me. And that phrase, the right one, she's the right one for me, is in the Hebrew is almost exactly the same phrase where it comes in, they did what was right in their own eyes. Samson is compromising right here. He says, Dad, I don't care what you say. I want this woman. And you can summarize Samson's kind of life or his downfall is this, that Samson's primary driver in his life is what, is what pleases him. He wants what he wants, right? And which led him to compromise after compromise. All right, so he says, I'm going to marry this woman. And, and then we come, you know, so he's basically going back down there. And, and then he runs across this lion. It's like kind of in the middle of the story. It doesn't really seem to make sense. But he, we, he runs across this lion on the way back to the field, you know, see this woman. And we read that in verse 16, or verse 6. It says, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him. So he tore the lion apart with his bare hands as he might have torn a young goat. Right? So he has this strength. And don't ask me what this phrase, how like you would have torn a young goat is. So I went looking for that this week. I went looking for some other people's opinion. And they're like, we have no idea what that means. But apparently, apparently it might have been custom to tear young goats, right? So basically, like, what'd you do this 4th of July? What'd you do this Labor Day? Well, you know, played some cornhole, you know, had some hot dogs, and we tore some young goats. That's kind of what was happening here. So main point is, he has this strength to fight a lion and tears this lion down, right? And... and it's kind of a compromise here, kind of a big deal, but it gets a little worse because here's what he does, right? So after he kills this lion, sometime later when he went back to marry her, so when he went back to marry this girl, he turned aside to look at the lion's carcass. Remember, what is he not supposed to do? Touch anything that's dead, right? So he's not supposed to touch this. He looked at the carcass, and in it he saw a swarm of bees and some honey, He's like, so he scooped out of the honey with his hands and ate as he went along. When he rejoined his parents, he gave them some, and they too ate it. But he did not tell them that he had taken the honey from the lion's carcass. So this may not seem like a big deal, but he, he takes this honey from a dead body, dead lion's carcass, and he gives it to his parents. So now his parents are, you know, doing things they're not supposed to do without even realizing it. And it says right here, he did not tell them that he had taken from the lion's carcass. So again, what are we seeing? Well, we're just seeing these little moments in Samson's life when he has the opportunity to do the right thing, but he chooses to compromise. And what do little compromises ultimately lead to? Big compromises. So these little compromises are ultimately going to lead to his downfall. And, and he gets to pick if he'll be faithful to God, but he just keeps compromising and compromising. So eventually Samson marries this girl, and, and they get married, and it it's a mess. 
He, he offends the Philistines while he's at this party, and he tells them a riddle, and he makes a bet with them. They can't figure it out, right? And then they trick the, wo- the woman tricks Samson into telling him the riddle, and then Sam- the, the Philistines find out the riddle, and then Samson has to go do some things to pay his bet. He kills a bunch of people. Well, the Philistines kick him out of, of Philistine because they're like, dude, this dude is an issue. We don't like him. Why they kicked him out, the father-in-law of his wife married his wife off to another woman, another man. Samson comes back and, and is upset that his wife is now, now someone else's wife. So he retaliates by te- uh, tying some foxtails together and putting lanterns on them and he go, they run through fields and they cause all kinds of chaos for the Philistines. The Philistines then retaliate by what? They take his, his um, wife and the father-in-law and they burn them to death. Then Samson retaliates again by killing a thousand men with a jawbone of a donkey, right? So that's really quick, really summer, a really quick summary. Go he- home and read that yourself. But it was all kinds of mess, all kinds of chaos, and it all started by co- uh, compromise. Samson being with a lady that he was never supposed to be with to begin with. So we just see this mess, and then we read for about twenty years there was a time of peace. And then we get to chapter 16. After this time of peace, we're kind of introduced to Samson again. And one day, Samson went to Gaza where he saw a prostitute. He went in. He went in to spend the night with her. So now, Samson's not just chasing after women he loves. He's chasing after women who will give him something, right? He, he wants something from them and he takes it. And, and he's in the Philistine company. And they realize, hey, Samson's here, and he has to use his, there's, they try to kill him, and he has to use this feat of, of strength to escape from them. And then in chapter 16, we get to the, po- the point that everybody really likes when they talk about Samson, and that is the story of Samson and Delilah. And this will be the ultimate compromise of the ultimate downfall. Now, how many of you have heard the story of Samson and Delilah before, right? For whatever reason, and I don't know why, this is a story that we have chosen to tell our kids in Sunday school. A weird story, but this is the one we've chosen, so we know it. But as you read the Samson of Delilah story, as I'm a, a grown man now reading the Samson and Delilah story, you're going to read the story if you read it. I want you to go home and read it. You're going to say, could anybody really be that dumb? Could anybody really be that dumb? And the answer is going to be, Samson may be dumber than we think, right? And he's going to do things, and it's going to get wild. So Samson's prowling along one night, and he sees this woman, and we have to believe that she's a beautiful woman named Delilah. And he's like, this is the one, right? The other Philistine woman didn't work out. You know, we killed a bunch of people. This prostitute didn't work out. But this is the lady. This, I mean, he was like, he loved, like, he would love romantic comedies. Like, he, he was a sucker for love, right? He, he's like, I love this girl. I want to marry this girl. Well, the Philistine rulers find out this. And they're like, okay, this is the time to finally capture Samson. So here's what happens in chapter 16. Sometime later, it says he fell in love with a woman in the valley of, of Shorek, whose name was Delilah. And the rulers of the Philistines went to her and said, See if you can lure him into showing you the secret of his great strength and how we can overpower him so we may tie him up and subdue him. That word lure is really important. What's a lure used for when you fish? To catch a fish, right? So literally lure him. Well, what are you going to lure him with, Delilah, right? Like lure him. Do something that's going to make him feel comfortable. Catch him and, and fall in love with him, even if you have to fake it, so we can subdue him. So we can basically capture him. Each one of us will give you 1,100 shekels of silver. Like Delilah, we know Samson loves you. We know that you can, we can use you to our advantage, 
Lure him into telling you the secret of his strength. Lure him. Trick him into telling you how he gets his strength. And if you figure it out, then we can finally capture him and do what we want to him. And by the way, Delilah, each of us will give you 1,100 shekels. Modern day terms, it was going to be around ninety to $100,000. And she goes, Samson, you're good looking, but you ain't that good looking. So she's like, I'm going to do this, right? So she decides, hey, Samson, you, sorry, I'm, 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 I'm being a traitor. This is, I'm selling you out. I'm going to be rich after this, okay? So she does this, and then verse 6, so Delilah says to Samson, tell me the secret of your great strength and how you can be tied up and subdued. Right, Samson, I love you. Please tell me. I don't, I don't know why he would believe this. Why, hey, please tell me how I can tie you up and kill you, basically, right? And what does Samson do? How can you be this dumb? He's like, okay. He's, he's a little smart at first. He's like, well, you got to do this. Tie me up and then do this, right? So she would try this and she ties him up and then the Philistines would hide outside his, uh, his tent and then they would, she would yell, wake up, Samson, the Philistines are here. And he would break the rope, right? And they, went, they did this a couple times and then eventually <clears throat> Del, uh, Delilah's like, how could, you, how could you make me look so foolish? You didn't actually tell me how to kill you and like, duh, baby girl, he's not going to tell you because you want to kill him, right? Like, but whatever happens, this is what happens for whatever reason Samson's not very smart maybe it was the extracurricular activities they participated maybe it was her beauty but for whatever reason it was he lets Delilah just trick her so here in verse 9 we kind of see this so Samson you know she would say this and he would snap it and then we go to the next verse and, and after the next slide in verse 17 We'll see this. After he, they do this a couple times, she, she's fe, uh, fed up with it. So she p starts to pull on the heartstrings of our old boy Samson here. He's like, she's like, if you really love me, please tell me the secret of your strength. And for whatever reason, we're like, Samson, are you really this dumb? And Samson's like, oh, of course I am. So he told her everything. No razor has ever been used on my head, he said, because I have been a Nazarite dedicated to God from my mother's womb. If my head were shaved, my strength would leave me, and I would become as weak as any other man. So what does Delilah do? She gets our boy drunk, and as he's drinking, what does she do? She cuts his hair, and, and then she ties him up. Then she called Samson, the Philistines are upon you. And he woke from his sleep and thought, I'll go out as before and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. The Lord had left him. Compromise after compromise after compromise have left him compromised, and now the Lord has left him. His hair represented the presence of the Lord in his life. It was gone now, right? And then the Philistines seized him, gouged out his eyes, and took him down to Gaza, binding him with bronze shekels. They set him to grinding grain in the prison. That's Samson's story, right? So compromise after compromise, they gouge out his eyes, and then they make him grind grain. And we just see something here, what compromise leads to, or what sin leads to it. Sin binds, he's bounded. It blinds, his eyes are gouged out. Sin grinds, he's gr grinding wheat now. Sin compromises. So here he is, our big bad man Samson. Now, Taken as a slave, as a prisoner, blinded, walking in a circle, chained, grinding wheat all day. And then at night, they would put him in a prison. So they put him in this prison, and they put him in this dungeon, and they're throwing a big party. And, and while he's sitting in this prison, we read verse 22. And this verse is going to become really important. 
But the hair on his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. That's really important. So he's in this dungeon. His little, his, his peach fuzz is coming back on his head, right? And they're throwing this party. And the Philistines are really cocky. And they're like, hey, listen, why don't we bring Samson out? We want him for our entertainment. We want to make fun of him. We want to see the, God, the God's great judge, Samson, come on out, right? They're basically mocking God, and they're mocking Samson, and they bring him out, blinded, shackled, and head shaved, and they bring him out, and he says, I can't see. Will you put me between two pillars? And in verse 28, this is what happens in Samson's story. Then Samson prayed to the Lord, sovereign Lord, remember me, please God, Strengthen me just once more. And let me with one blow get revenge on the Philistines for my two eyes. Then Samson reached toward the two uh, central pillars in which the temple stood. Right? And, and then it continues. Bracing himself against them. His right hand on the one and his left hand on the other. And Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. Then he pushed with all his might. And down came the temple on the rulers and all the people in it. Thus, he killed many more when he died than when he lived. And that's the end of the judges. That's the end of Samson. Samson's life ends in this sad, tragic, somewhat poetic way. And what you see in Samson's life is a great warning and great lesson for all of us to learn. Samson's greatest enemy, and we talked about this last week a little bit, was himself. Samson had what I call the virus, the virus of compromise, the virus of sin. He had the virus of wanting to do what he wanted to do when he wanted to do it. And maybe you have felt like Samson. You're like, why, why did I answer that text? Why did I date that person? Why did I get in that car? Why couldn't I have more strength to say no? Why couldn't I have more strength not to hang out with these people? Why couldn't I have not done this and that? And maybe you relate to Samson, because Samson's story is Israel's story. But it might very well be your story. And it might be my story. And there's two major themes that we, we see in the story of Samson. The first one is a negative theme. And it's, it's a warning, right? Compromise in choices leads to compromised faith. That's all you can say about it. Compromise in choices leads to compromised faith. Samson's pride told him what? I can do whatever I want. I can do whatever I want, when I want. Why? What got him out of all these messes every single time? His strength. And his strength got him out of these messes and there was no consequences in his mind. So he continued to do whatever he wanted to do, whenever he wanted to do it. And eventually, he became so casual at the commands of God, he said, I'm going to do what I want. Oh, I know I'm not supposed to marry this woman. I'm going to marry her. I know I'm not supposed to touch a, a dead carcass. I'm just going to do it. I know I'm not supposed to do this. I'm supposed to do that. And he does it anyways. And eventually what happens? All these compromises lead to him being what? Compromised. All these compromises lead to a major mess in his life. And I bet you most of us can relate to that in some capacity. A little bit of compromises leads to big messes. So we start to flirt. We just start to flirt with compromise, right? We start to flirt with sin a little bit. And before you realize it, you're starting to make these compromises. And one of the greatest ways, or one of the most, one of the ways compromise starts to reveal itself in your life is that you're increasingly casual with God's commands. You're increasingly casual with what God says on sexuality, on sin, on sex before marriage, 
on life and what's not life. You start to look at nations. When do they start turning away from God? When they get casually, increasingly casual with the commands of God. So we get, we get casual with this. And we're like, well, it's no big deal. Everybody else is doing it. Or everybody else believes this. Or, or that's old school. Or that was that thousands of years ago. You get increasingly casual. Right? And you start to kind of say, well, you start to compromise a little bit what God says or what God should say. Or you're like, well, I don't know if God really said that. And you start to do some things, right? And then all of a sudden you see what I call faith erosion. What's erosion? Well, erosion is wearing away of an object or a substance by external forces, right? Like water does to rocks. Well, with faith, our external substances are faith, our, our object or substances are faith, external forces are the temptations, are the compromises, are the sins, are the substances we know we shouldn't take, our sex, our sexuality, all of these things, they start to wear down and, and push on you and push on you. Before you know it, when erosion happens, you look back in your life and you're like, what in the world happened? How in the world did I go from where I wanted to be to this? And then you look back at the end of your life, you get to the end of your life and you say, my life's going to be reduced to one single sentence. And that one single sentence is this. They compromised what they believed because everybody else was doing it. And compromise in choices leads to a compromised faith. What I mean by that is when you compromise your choices, that leads to compromised faith. It is your choices to, to indulge in sin, your choices to do what's right in your own eye, the choices to do what is right by everybody else instead of God, ultimately leads you down a path that is away from God's purpose and plan for your life. And whenever you're outside of God's purpose and plan, your life is compromised. That's reality. It's not fun to talk about, but somebody's got to say it, right? Compromising choices leads to compromise in faith. And it starts slowly with one compromise at a time. But then we see, even if we're compromised, even if you're coming here today, you're like, man, that hits a little close to home. It isn't how you start. That's how you finish. You know, Samson's life was like, uh, I don't know, it would have been a reality TV show that would have made a, much, a bunch of money on MTV, right? It could have made a bunch of money. His life was a mess. Yet, if you flip to Hebrews chapter 11, you start reading what's called the, the Faith Hall of Fame. Do you know whose name pops up in there? Somehow, in some way, Samson's name pops up in the Hall of Fame of Faith. How in the world did that happen? Well, or what does it prove to us? Well, it proves to us that it's not how you start. It's how you finish. It proves to us that even in the middle of our mess, God's not done working. And like the song we sang, that if you're not dead, you're not done. If you got breath in your lungs, God still has a purpose and a plan for you, no matter how old you are. And some of us have come here like, man, I've messed up so many times. I've done this. I've done that. I don't know how God could ever love me. I don't know how I ever can change my life. And then some of us right now, and we know it, we're living in the middle of a compromise. We're we are compromising what we believe right now, and we know it. And we, no one else knows it, but we know it. And we know that if we don't change something, something's going to happen. But just know, it doesn't have to stay that way. So here's what happens. Samson ends up compromised. We said he got, gets his eyes gouged out and he gets shackled up and he has to walk around in a circle all day grinding wheat. But then we read my favorite verse in Judges. It's one little verse that does not seem to be a big deal, but it's a major deal. Verse 22. This is my favorite verse. Chapter 16, verse 22. The hair of his head began to grow again. 
the hair of his head began to grow again, right? Some of us know, like, hey, my hair, my head, I'm, I've lost my hair. I wish my hair would grow again. But Samson, it actually starts to grow again. And it's such a big deal. Because what does it prove? It proves that if you're not dead, God's not done. What does it prove? Well, if you're not dead, God's not done. What represented God's presence in Samson's life? His hair. And even when Samson was laying on the ground, probably in a dungeon where he, was supposed to, where he wasn't supposed to be, this was never his purpose, God had not forgotten him yet. Because the hair on his head began to grow. God says, you may have made that mistake, but I'm not done with you, Israel. I'm not done with you, Samson. And I don't care how old you are or what you've done. God isn't done with you yet. And at some point in Samson's life, he had to realize as he's sitting in this dungeon, this isn't what God had planned for me. This isn't how my life was supposed to go. How could I have been so foolish? How could I have compromised over and over and over and over again? And at some point, Samson has this cosmic shift in his mind, cosmic shift in his life, and he says, okay, enough is enough. Samson goes, I started one way, and I want to finish differently. I've done all this, maybe you can relate, I've done all this, but I don't want all this to be my story. I don't want my life to end. It says, Samson, the man who had God's great strength, ended up a slave with eyes gouged out in a dungeon. For Samson to finish well, he had to realize his compromise got him there. For you and I to finish well, you got to realize our sin is taking us places we don't want to go. And so compromise got him there. And only repentance could get him out of there. What's repentance? Well, in Christianity and faith, it's so important to understand that we're fallen and we're broken. And repentance is turning away from that. Is realizing, I've blown it. My sin, my compromise, I've blown it. I blew it. I blew it. God, uh, you were calling me to live one way. You had a purpose for me, but I blew it. And that's what he's saying. He's sitting there. Imagine him thinking. He's like, I, I blew it. I blew it. God, I have made all these wrong choices. I chose Delilah. I chose the Philistine woman. I, I chose the compromise when I should have chose to do what you wanted me to do. I, and then he's like, I, I'm turning from that. And for you and I, we got to realize, like, we got we to gotta repent. We got to say, hey, God, I, I'm changing from this. I know that I did this. I know I, I've sinned. I know I've had addiction. I know I, I've done all these things. But I'm going back and I'm turning to you. Samson had to realize, I got to turn back to God. I got to repent and turn back to God. Uh, my compromise got me here. Only one way to get me out of here. He had to repent. He had to realize, this isn't my purpose. Compromise has stolen my purpose. This isn't my plan. This isn't your plan, God. He had to turn from it. In verse 28, I believe we read that compromise, that uh, repent, repentant heart from Samson. Then Samson prayed to the Lord, sovereign Lord, Lord of all, remember me. Don't forget me, God. Please, God, strengthen me just once more and let me with one blow get revenge on the Philistines from my two eyes. Sovereign Lord, I know I've messed up a thousand times, and I'm not praying for a thousand more chances. I'm praying for just one more. One more chance. One more chance. Not, I know I've done so many things, God, but one more chance. Give me, give me one more chance. One more chance, God. I, I will, for, for whatever this chance you give me, for the rest of my life, no matter how long it is, God, give me one more chance. 
with whatever time left I got, he's saying, I will use it for your glory because you are sovereign Lord. God, just one more chance. One more chance. God grants him that one more chance. And as he's standing between two pillars, it says he pushed the pillars down. Pushed them down. And he said, I love it, he says, in that moment he killed more enemies in his death than he did in his entire life. Well, what does that mean for you? What does it mean for me? It means it isn't how you start. It's how you finish. Samson's start was shaky at best. And then it got worse. It got awful. And when he thought he was done, God says, no, no, no. It's not how you start. It's how you finish. Finish such a way that his name is written in the hall of fame of faith. And for you, for you and me, it's the same thing. I don't care how you came in here today. We care how you leave. We care how you finish. Samson's life was reduced to a single sentence. Samson was a great man of faith. That's what Hebrew says, right? And for me and you to have this same finish, here's what we got to do. It's so simple. We have to repent, so turn from our old life, and push down some pillars. You got to push down the pillars of anger, push down the pillars of sin, push down the pillars of addiction, push down the pillars, um, pillars of judgmentalness, of criticalness, uh, of unforgiveness, of hate, all those. You got to push it down. And he says, repent, turn from your ways, and push down the pillars in your life. If you want different, if you want a different life, a different story, you have to do something different. So many people say, hey, I want God to step in my life, and I want to do something different, but then we don't do anything different. And if you want a different finish, and you have to have something different. You got to do something different. You got to check yourself in the rehab. You got to go to counseling. You got to turn from your sin. You got to repent. You got to say, God, this is not the life for me. and I want to live the way you want me to live. You want different. You got to repent. You got to push down pillars. You got to stop being hateful. Push down pillars. You got to stop giving in to compromise and push down pillars. You got to stop looking like the world around you and push down some pillars Samson knew the only way his life could change in his final moments was God. He said, God, you are the only one who can change me. And the only one who can change you and I, it's real simple, is Jesus. You want real change in your life? You got to go to Jesus. And you got to say something a little bit like this. Pray something like this. Jesus, change my life. Change my story. Use me how you want to use me. Be the Lord of my life. God, you, Jesus, you are number one. You are the truth, the way, and the life. Give me the strength to push down the pillars of compromise and follow your ways. You want a different story? Follow something like this. Change my life. Change my story. You're the Lord of my life. Give me strength to push down the pillars of compromise and follow your ways. The book of Judges is in the middle, of the, the beginning of the Bible, and it's a great warning. And it ends with one line. They did what was right in their own eyes. And it led to chaos. And I believe it's a warning for all of us. If we do what is right in our own eyes, your life will end in chaos. Your life will end in destruction. But if you turn to Jesus, you say, I know my sin and my compromise gets me into places I don't want to be. I need you to change my life. Only you can do that. Only you can change it. Give me strength to push down the pillars and follow your ways. And then your story will be written, like the song says, in the book of heaven.
you may not get to decide every single thing in your life, but you get to decide. Are you going to be faithful? Or are you going to compromise? You have control how you write the end of your sentence. And Jesus says, follow me, and you'll like what you see. Let's pray. God, we are so thankful, so, so thankful for you, for your word. God, and I, I just want to give the opportunity today to anybody who wants to push down the pillars in their life, maybe make a decision for the first time to, to follow you and, and to be baptized. God, to have a conversation with me. See Adam. Have a conversation with Adam, God. And let him not wait a single day longer. Father, we're going to come into this time of communion after this song, Father, and it's a time to sit there and just to remember and, and to think about what you've done for us. Think about what Jesus, how Jesus destroyed all the pillars in our lives, God. He pushed them all down so we could follow in his way, so he could save us. So, Father, as we come to the time of communion after this worship song, please be with us as we remember what Jesus did for us. And we remember to be faithful only to him. See you name we pray. Amen. It's been great hanging out with you guys today. I hope that message challenges you and encourages you today. We would love to have you on campus sometime at one of our services at 8.30 or 10.45 on Sunday. Or to find out more information about RSEC, you can always go to the RSEC Family app. Or follow us on any social media platform at RSEC Family. Most of all, remember, you matter. Not because I say you matter, but because God says you matter. Now go and be blessed.